Well, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Titus. Uh, to Titus chapter 2. Uh, I'd like to look at uh, towards the end of the chapter there, chapter, uh, Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 11. I'll give you just a minute to find that. I think I probably have told you this before, but the uh, first time I ever really preached was on Super Bowl Sunday night. Uh, back then, it seemed like it was a little bit earlier. I don't remember it being a, uh, you know, second week in February. I remember it being either last week of January or first week of February. But I'd answered my call to preach, and uh, I, you know, you really, if you want to remember those things, you should write them down because they get as time goes by, they get a little fuzzy. But I, I, I went and talked to my pastor and told him uh, what he already knew and what I had figured out that God was calling me to preach. And uh, the plan was not for me to preach that Wednesday night. And I ended up kind of trying to a little bit more, giving a little bit of testimony, uh, but really uh, making a... Uh, we talked about vows this morning. I guess you would call it a vow that I would come back Sunday night and I would finish what I had started and uh, anyway, so I come back that Sunday night, which was the Super Bowl Sunday night, and I preached in, out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so anyways, and, and I preached that, I remember that so well, being on Super Bowl Sunday night, and, and there were so many that that's where they were at. And so, but anyways, I want to preach to you, I'm not going to try to, preach that message again uh, by any means, but I want to preach to you tonight out of the book of Titus uh, chapter 2, and I want, let's read verses 11, 12, and 13, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here tonight and to fellowship together and to lift up our voices together in praise and song to you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the different uh, the testimonies that we've heard tonight. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you've poured out on us. But we thank you most of all for your Son, Jesus. Lord God, that you sent him and that you give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. Lord, let us not take that lightly. Let us not take that for granted. But let us always be a people with praise and glory on our lips for you, because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, my prayer, of course, above all, is that if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you, any that are lost and undone, Lord, that tonight would be the night that they would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. But Lord, if there's any that's maybe just, uh, uh, maybe they're backslidden. Maybe they're not backslidden, but they've just grown a little bit cold. Not where they once were, not where they know they need to be, not where they would like to be. Lord, I'm praying tonight that those fires would be rekindled within them. 
I'm praying, Lord, that whatever needs to be said or done here in this service, that that's exactly what would happen here tonight, that, that to, to bring those, to light those fires again. Uh, Lord, to give them that fervor once again. Lord, to just, you know, set them on fire again. God, my prayer is, is every one of us would leave, leave here with a zeal to serve you uh, and to love you uh, and to do your will. Uh, and, and Lord, so my prayer here tonight is that you would move in our midst in a mighty way. And I know there's some that maybe needs to be encouraged. And so Lord, that's what I'm asking tonight is that you would lift up and encourage those that need to be lifted up and encouraged. And I know there's some that need a touch in their body as well. And God, we know you're the great physician. We know all true healing comes from you. So Lord, that's what I'm asking from you tonight. Give them the healing touch that they stand in need. Lord, what I'm asking is that you would just meet every need here tonight. For you to have your way and your will in our midst and do what only you can do. And we'll give you every bit of the glory for it. And Lord, let me ask one more thing of you tonight. Uh, I have been given the task of bringing your word here tonight. That's what you've called me to do. And Lord, I know that I am woefully inadequate, underprepared. I, I know that just in every way that a person could think of, I know that I come short. And so Lord, I'm just asking tonight that in spite of all that, you would still use me here tonight. Lord, that you'd clear my mind of everything except for your thoughts, your word, your message. Place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak here tonight. Give each one of us ears to hear what you would say by your spirit tonight through your messenger. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would just, uh, Lord, that you would just use me here one more time tonight to present your word, to preach your word, uh, and I'll give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, I'm just asking for you to move by your sweet Holy Spirit tonight in a mighty way. Lord, that you'd anoint me, fill me full of your spirit, Lord and God. Uh, and Lord, I'm just praying, Lord, that you'd have your way and your will here. And we'll give you the glory because we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I want to present to you tonight. Now, how do I want to say this? I want to talk to you tonight about grace. Um, when I think of that word grace, there is... Uh, there's a lot of things that come to, that come to mind. Um, one part of me thinks that we just throw that word around without really understanding what it is. Um, we know it has to do with God and salvation, but I mean, we know the song, Amazing Grace, and it, you know, maybe we associate some different things with it. Maybe we have some understanding of it. Maybe we have a really good understanding of it. But none of us, I think, can fully grasp or fully understand the depths of grace, at least God's grace, at least on this side of the grave. I was thinking about different words that I associate with God's grace. And, and I, you know, of course, amazing. And that probably comes from the song, Amazing Grace. Uh, right along with that is it's, it's marvelous, right? It's, 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 it's matchless. There's nothing like it anywhere. And then that makes me start to think that it's majestic and yet somewhat mysterious. And what I mean by that is even though God's grace is revealed to us, um, it is still beyond my comprehension and beyond my understanding. 
So as limited, as finite as my understanding is and my ability is, I still want to present to you some things about God's grace. And so let's start out with what is grace? Well, probably the simplest way is I, that I would say it and I would put it it is, is simply the unmerited, right? Unmerited means undeserved favor of God, right? God's favor towards us that we did not do anything to earn or to deserve. Or to deserve. I looked it up and, and I've got a couple of different Bible dictionaries and, and I looked it up in a Bible dictionary and I thought, I wonder what somebody that's smart, how they, uh, how they define grace. And so I wrote it down and, and, and brought it here with me tonight. Let me read to you what one of the Bible dictionaries that I had. I picked my favorite of the, of the couple of them that I've got. And one of them said this, said, Divine grace is the free and undeserved love and favor of God towards man as a sinner especially as exhibited in the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. It is only by God's free grace that we can accept God's offer of mercy that was purchased by redeeming blood. And by redeeming blood, it means by the blood of Jesus, right? His redeeming blood. So the grace of God is unmerited, undeserved uh, favor by which that is the source of the whole plan of redemption. That's what I, that's what I gather from that. So in, in maybe in other words, the Lord, the Lord gave each one of us a new life that we did not deserve. I, I heard um, a preacher one time down in West Plains define grace and mercy this way, and I've used it a lot because I think it's really good. Uh, this is what he said, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you do not deserve. You see, uh, to put this in context of God and salvation, every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us at one time was at odds. Was, the Bible says enmity, right? We were enemies of God. And we deserve an eternity in a devil's hell. That's the punishment for sin. And that's what we deserve. But God's mercy is we do not get what we deserve. And you know what we do not deserve? We do not deserve what God has waiting for us in heaven. We do not deserve to spend an eternity in His presence. We do not deserve Him sending His only begotten Son to die on Calvary's cross for my sins and for your sins. But He done it and He gave it. That is the grace of God giving us what we do not deserve. That, when you start to think about it that way, right? Uh, that if, if we had gotten justice, if we'd gotten what we deserved, we would have all gone to hell. But we got mercy and grace instead. And then, that's why I think that we call grace amazing. Because why should a worm like me get it? Right? We are given the grace of God because of the love of God. Now that might, maybe that sounds simple to you at first, but I promise you when you start to think about that, 
That's when words like marvelous and majestic and mysterious and matchless and things like that will begin to, to come into your mind. Because he did it for me. And not just for me, but for you too, for whosoever will. So today, I want to, or tonight for a few minutes, I won't take real long, I don't think. But for a few minutes, <laughs> for a few minutes tonight, I want to talk to you just a little bit. I'm just going to throw some stuff at you about grace. Uh, you know that we can find grace all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance. And did you know that the word, of gra uh, the word grace is mentioned in the Old Testament 38 times? And then it is mentioned in the New Testament 123 times. Something I found very interesting uh, in the Old Testament is that of those 38 times, 18 of them, that's not quite half, but that's getting close, 18 of those 38 times, we find an interesting phrase where it talks about so-and-so or someone found grace. For instance, in Genesis, it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? That is the only place that we see that phrase in the Old Testament. Those 18 times, nearly half the times it's mentioned in the Old Testament, it's talking about someone who found grace. But that same phrase is never, not a single time, mentioned in the New Testament, those 123 times. Now, I don't know, I'm just, you know this, I'm just a dumb old hillbilly, but I was thinking about that and I thought, that's interesting. Why? Why is it that way? Well, you know, in the Old Testament it talks about, you know, for instance, Noah found grace. And it goes through a whole bunch of them that found grace, but it doesn't mention that in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, right, the New Testament's about the New Covenant. Uh, we don't find grace. Grace finds us. That's my theory. Heard somebody say one time, mercy kept me. Until that may be part of a song. Mercy kept me until grace found me. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. You see, grace is not a theology. It's not a subject matter. It's not a doctrine. Grace is a person in His name is Jesus Christ. Glory, hallelujah. Aren't you glad tonight that he found you? Hallelujah. Do you remember the night that he found you or the day or the morning? For me, it was a night. I guess that's why I say it. I remember the night that he found me. Hallelujah. When I look at the scripture, I see three things that I want to share with you that grace does for you. Right? These are three things that grace done for me. It's three things the scripture says that grace does. It's three things I believe grace does for you. The first thing it does is it brings salvation. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Glory to God. Don't you know I said that grace wasn't a doctrine or a theology but it is a person. Jesus Christ. Don't When you read that don't you see that? For the grace of God. Hallelujah. The Son of God. He, has, he is the one that bringeth salvation and hath appeared to all men. Woo! I can shout tonight. Mm. 
I look at what it says in, in the book of Acts in the 15th chapter and the 11th verse. It says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Praise God that it is through His grace that you and I are saved and are being saved. Uh, grace is revealed to us in God's Word and through God's will. And there is no grace without God's Word. And there would be no grace for salvation unless it was God's will. That's why it says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count uh, slackness, but is long-suffering uh, to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Glory to the Lamb of God. And let me tell you something else about grace tonight, church. It has got to be received. Hey, that's something a lot of people miss. Grace does have to be received. You have the option. You can either receive it or you can reject it. I think about what it says in Romans chapter 1. In the fourth verse, fourth verse and it says and uh, uh, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness uh, by the resurrection of the dead listen to this part verse 5 by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name we must receive the grace of God in a child. I believe it must be done in a childlike faith, right? Uh, that's why that God, or Jesus describes that's how we must come to Him, right? And it has to be in that childlike faith. And we do this by humbly asking God to save us, even though we do not deserve heaven, right? And we can't do anything to deserve it. And on the flip side of that coin, we do deserve hell, and there's nothing we can do uh, to, uh, to make ourselves, uh, uh, pull ourselves out of that situation. It is by the grace of God that He reached down into the miry clay and pulled me up and set my feet uh, on the solid rock. <laughs> Glory to the Lamb of God. Uh, but when grace received we are saved from the pits of hell I like how it says it in John the gospel according to John chapter 1 and verse 12 it says but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name do you catch what there is so much in that verse you catch what it's saying there as many as received him right as many as received the grace that we've been talking about tonight the Lord Jesus Christ as many as received him those are the ones that he gave the power to become the sons of God hallelujah mm. God's grace is what justifies us. It's not because of what we did. When you get into what you do and what you did, then it becomes, uh, it becomes self-righteousness, right? And the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. It's not what I did. It's not what you did. But you see, it's what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in G or Christ Jesus. That is in Christ Jesus. Listen to me tonight. Sin's power has a hold on so many people in this world as I speak right now. 
So many, sadly, there's a lot of people in our churches that sin, uh, sin's power has a hold on. But you understand tonight that we are released from sin's power. There's only one way that we're released from sin's power, and that is by the grace of God. I have personally seen the grace of God release the vilest of sinners. I have seen the grace of God release the, the, the drunk from the power that sin and the drink had over him. I have seen uh, the grace of God release the harlot uh, from her, uh, her abomination. I have seen the grace of God release the drug addict from his uh, addiction. I have seen from the power that sin had over them, it can even release one who is trusting in some sort of man-made religion. And you know what? One day very soon, it will release, it will release us from the very presence of sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I've thought about, I was sitting there just a minute ago, probably something in one of the songs and one of the specials that was sung stirred my mind in this direction. But I was thinking of all the saints of God that's went on before us, and I was thinking specifically of the ones that we've lost just here in the last year or two, you know, uh, some in the last few months. And as I think of that, and of course we get sad when we start thinking about it. We miss them. We do. We miss them. But think about this for a minute. They have been, uh, Brother Ron had mentioned, we need to be praying for our nation in this very dark hour that it is entering into. And that's the result. That's the presence of sin, right? That's a dark sin cloud setting so, I don't know how to say it, but setting so, so, so tightly, so snugly, so closely, so, you know, hovering over this nation and darkening it so much. But yet all those that have gone before us, they've been released from the presence of sin and from, the, of course, the power of sin too. And I'm thinking, and I praise God that one day, now I don't know when it'll be. I don't know if we'll go, by, if I'll go by the way of the grave or if I'll go by the, uh, what we call the rapture of the church. Whenever the, I don't even know the right words to use, but I can tell you this much. I know there's going to be a shout. I know it'll be at the last trumpet. Glory to God. And I know he'll call my name and gravity will lose all control over this little fat boy. I'll be flying out of here like Superman. Woo! And sin will not have no more. I will not be in the presence of it any longer. I'll be released from it. And you all are welcome to go with me too. We look at what it is that grace does for us. Listen to me, everywhere you look, you see sin. It's in the grocery store. As you drive by, it's in the parking lot. You go to work, it's at the workplace. Heaven have mercy, you turn on the TV or the computer and there it is, staring at you. Take out your phone and look at it everywhere. The presence of sin. 
And I'll be honest with you, there's times my spirit, not my flesh, my flesh uh, revels in it. My flesh loves it, but my spirit, it groans to be released from the presence of sin. It groans to be set free. It groans to go and, and be with those that went on before us. And one day soon, that's why I like that song, Soon and Very Soon, they sing sometimes. One day soon, and I believe it'll be very soon, when Jesus comes back, we'll be released from the presence of sin. So what does grace do for us? Well, it brings salvation. Tell you what else it does, right? It, this talking about goes right along with that presence of sin. Is it brings change. It brings salvation and it brings change. Look at verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. If you flip back just a couple pages to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, And I thank uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer? Right? Paul's talking about this. He's saying, before this, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it, I did it ignorantly in disbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. I think a lot about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. He says, by the grace of God... I am what I am. I thank God every day that I am not the man that I used to be. I'm not perfect yet. I've not reached perfection and I don't claim to have done that. But I praise God that I've been released from the power of sin. It doesn't have the hold on me that it once did have. And I praise God for what He has done in my life, for the change that He has made. I'm telling you right now, from moment number one, there was a day and night difference. From the time I got home, my family can, can attest to you. Of course, the kids might be too little to remember, but Jennifer can. That I was not the same man that went to that service that night that come home that night. I praise God that I have been changed by the grace of God. God's grace is what's working on changing us into the image of Christ. Every day, right? The kids like to sing, He's still working on me. He's still working on each one of us. And that is God's grace that is working on us, that is transforming us into the image of Christ. It is by God's grace that our old man is dead, right? And now uh, we are a new creature in Christ. It is by God's grace that our sin nature has been defeated. Uh, God has, um, uh, His grace not only makes us a new person in Christ, someone who no longer does the things that, that, we, that I used to do or that you used to do, but it is also God's grace that enables us to live for God and to do His will. Listen to me. I, I couldn't do it on my own. You can't either. 
Peter. Uh, we cannot fulfill the calling that God has placed on our life. We cannot live in a way that pleases God by our own power. That is what is so wrong with the self-help movement. Right? We, we've seen that. I don't know how many years that's been going on, but it's been going on quite a while. It started in what? In psychology and humanism and all that. The self-help movement. And you go in the bookstores and they're lined and lined and lined with, uh, you know, all these self-help books and tapes and videos and philosophies and, and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't long and it creeped into the church world too. And sadly, it's kind of hung in there, right? Uh, you go to a lot of the big Christian bookstores and you see books and books and bookshelves and bookshelves of the same kind of garbage with just a little bit of, sprinkled with a little bit of Christian language on top, you know. But it's still the same garbage. The world has realized, I think for the most part, that that's baloney. And that the whole self-help thing is, is a sham. So now the philosophy they push is just be happy with, your, with everything the way that it is. Don't try to change a thing. And you mark my words, we see that coming into the church now. Listen to me. The reason they, they put out that, that garbage and try to make themselves believe that is because we on our own. I mean, if you've got a lot of willpower, you can do some things. But we cannot crucify the old man. We cannot make the change that is necessary. It is only by the power of God, through the, Holy, the working of the Holy Spirit of God, by the grace of God, that we are able to be changed. So what does grace do for us? It brings change. Any, uh, we can do anything because of the grace of God. Uh, William Carey. He was a great English missionary to India and that part of the world in the late 1700s, early 1800s. As a matter of fact, he uh, translated the Bible into there are several different native Indian languages, uh, at least four or five of them, and he translated the Bible into each one of those languages. Done a tremendous work for God. And he is attributed with saying, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Tempt great things for God and expect great things from God. By the grace of God, you've been gifted and I've been gifted and called to do exactly what God wants you to do. You look at a man like that in the time period uh, that he went and the things that he done, and you think, how could somebody do that? I could never do that. Well, if God called you to do that, you could do that, and not because of your ability, not because of how smart you are, how slick you are, how whatever you are, but because of the grace of God. That's how he done it. So I told you tonight that, that uh, what does grace do? It brings salvation. It brings change. And the last thing when we look at verse 13 is it brings hope. Verse 13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God can and does give grace in times of, times of need. 
times of sorrow. If we live long enough, each and every one of us is going to experience sorrow. We're going to experience sorrow from losing a loved one. Uh, we're going to experience sorrow from going through illness and the different things in this world. But in those times of sorrow, God's grace brings us hope of a better day. Hope of a better day. Um, and let me stop for just a second. Let me define biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation or anticipation. What it is not is it is not wishful thinking. See, we use the word hope today so much as in wishful thinking. For instance... Somebody will say, I'm going to go down here and buy a lottery ticket, which, by the way, don't waste your money on them. But they'll say, I'm going to go down here and buy a lottery ticket and hoping that they will win the lottery. Well, they, it's wishful thinking. They know that they're not going to win. There's one in a million or billion or whatever chance that they'll win. They know it's not going to happen. That's how we use hope so much. You know, well, I hope this happens or hope that happens, knowing that it's probably just or afraid that it's wishful thinking. Biblical hope is a knowing. It is a confident expectation or anticipation. Our hope in the return of Christ is not wishful thinking. It is an anticipation of an expectation that we know is going to come to pass. When we look at the scriptures, we see in Hebrews 13, 5. Um, let me say this first. We have hope. And let me name two reasons why we have hope. First one is Hebrews 13, 5. Uh, the scripture says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All right, uh, we have that, that. That's coming from the Lord because in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, Jesus says himself, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. All right, so we have that hope. I think about what it says in Isaiah 43 too, uh, when it says there, When you pass us through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I think about what it says in the 23rd Psalm when it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the second reason for our hope is because of what it says in John chapter 14, the first uh, three verses there. Whenever Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have uh, told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have hope because if we're saved, we know that Jesus is always going to be with us. He is our ever-present comforter, whether, whether on this side of the grave or that side of the grave. Do you see where, what, I'm, what I'm saying here, what I'm doing here, right? He is with us always to the end of the world. He is here. Uh, he is, when you get saved, His Spirit comes and resides with you. He goes with you. He walks with you. When you leave this world, you're still right there. He's with you every step of the way. If you're saved, you know that Jesus 
is always going to be with us. He is our ever-present comforter. He is our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help in our time of trouble. So let me say this to you by way of closing tonight. Or maybe ask you this question. Are you saved by the grace of God? Have you surrendered your life to God's will? Man, that's, that's, that was my holdup for a long time. I had known from a very young age about Christ and about God, that you need to be saved to go to heaven. I had known from a fairly, fairly young age, at least, middle school age at least, what you need to do to be saved. I never had a problem with believing. Even when I tried not to believe, I still believed. Um, I've told you before, I've always been, history just fascinates me. Um, I, you know, I know a little bit, probably no more than the average person about history, but it fascinates me. Uh, I, that's the kind of things that I like to read about and, and watch and things like that. Uh, some sort of documentary usually will interest me a lot more than whatever the latest, you know, Spider-Man movie is or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Not that I got anything against that, but I'm just, I'm just saying that's what interests me. And so from what I knew about history and being interested, and I've always been, you know, everybody's always trying to, you know, I, not everybody, but so many people throughout time has always tried to change history to make it, you know, fit them and whatever, you know, fit what they wanted to believe. And I've always been one that it is what it is. And there's some ugly spots with warts, you know, along the way. There's some areas and some spots that we can be awful proud of, and there's some places that, you know, not be so quite so proud of. And so anyways, um, the one thing that I always knew, even when I tried to deny, is I always knew, right, one, that we are a created being. We didn't just happen by chance. It is, it's, impo it's mathematically impossible. Not only is it improbable, it is impossible. I'm not stupid, right? Uh, Bible says a fool says in the heart there is no God. I, I wasn't a fool. I might have wanted to. I might have been a lost, sinful person and wanted to live in my sin, but I knew deep down I was no fool, right? And most of these people that claim uh, that there is no God and claim to be an atheist, deep down they know the truth, right? And so I knew that there was a God, and I knew um, historically that there was a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth that walked the face of this earth some 2,000 years ago that done many things that even very smart people to this day could not explain. I knew that. I had known that from a lot, as long as I can remember I had known that and believed that. But where I had problems... What took me until the age of 27 to surrender was my will. I, I can remember standing in the kitchen when we lived in Ozark and having a conversation with Jennifer and telling her, this is what I told her. 
I told her that I thought maybe God was kind of like um, that parent or grandparent or whatever that would make a threat and never carry through, carry through with it. You know, They would just say, look, if you don't straighten up and be good, I'm going to do this or that. But they weren't really going to do that because of my twisted view of what love was. Right? As a lost person, as a lost person, you can't understand what love really is. And my twisted view of what love was was thinking because God loved us, He would never, never, He would do anything. And as I say that, He did do anything and everything so that we wouldn't go to hell. But yet people still choose to go to hell. And my problem was surrendering my will. So I ask you that question tonight. Have you surrendered your will to do God's will? You know, He will give you the grace to do whatever He wants you to do. Whatever He has called you to do. I ask you tonight, is there a situation in your life that seems impossible? Listen to me. God gives grace for every trial. So the question is, is your heart full of the grace of God? I brought a quote that I wanted to read to you tonight in closing by uh, Thomas Brooks, and this is what he said. As heart is opposed to cold and light to darkness, so grace is opposed to sin. Fire and water can just as easily be in the same vessel as grace and sin in the same heart. Ponder on that and think about that. That's pretty smart. That's pretty sharp. Water is what puts fire out. That could never be contained in the same pot or bucket or whatever. You set a fire in there and then you pour water in there. That's the end of the fire. It's the same with sin and grace in the, in the human heart. Can't not going to contain both. The grace of God is what dispels, right? What puts out the sin. Grace is what puts out the sin in our hearts. I don't know where you stand tonight and I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your needs is. I don't know what your burdens are. But I'm going to invite you to stand tonight. And the altar is open tonight. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, if the Spirit of God is dealing with you, somebody you need to be praying for, something you need to be praying about, don't miss this opportunity, whatever it may be. Spirit of God dealing with you about something. Don't miss, don't, don't let this opportunity pass by. He's tapping on your heart right now for a reason. Whatever the need is, would you come tonight? Would you come?